Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a documentary filmmaker's journey. I am your host, Josh Lindsay from the Movie Proposal Podcast. And with us is our documentary filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hey there, Josh. Hey there, Christian. How are you? Good. Glad to have you here. Thank you. I thought you'd be out of town at some film festival. Uh, that's not until April 20th. It's coming up. Oh, okay. It's coming up. All right. Well, glad you're here. In the meantime, we also have with us the indisputable, indispensable, undisputable, something. We need him. Um, anyway, Jason Rugg. Hey there. <laughs> you are indispensable, Jason. Well, thank you. You're also indisputable. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But that's Learned. not a right word. It's undisputable. <laughs> well. Well, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Words, words. Sometimes I just don't get them right. Um, Speaking of not getting things right, I missed last week's podcast, so I am out of the loop and I want to get caught up. But before I do, is there anything we need to update on the the film before we jump into last week's recap? Yes. So uh, I've been spending a lot of time still getting all of our events squared away and you know upcoming right now not when this comes out actually but but in right now we are in the sarasota film festival for grueling glory um if you've missed that you want to watch it uh if you become a patreon supporter at the five dollar level you'll be able to watch grueling glory it's a nine and a half minute short uh, that is a companion piece to the girl who wore freedom written by our translator michelle phoenix directed by me edited by bill ebel and score by jeff kurtenacker and the sound design is by jason hoban so that's grueling glory uh, grueling glory will also be at the julian dubuque international film festival on april 20 through 24 i will be there and so if people want to meet me and see the film that's a great place to come dubuque is an adorable little town so we're really looking forward to that and once may rolls around may 4th i am leaving to go to france france which is uh what we normally call reams here in the united states but apparently it's produced france and i'm going to be meeting flo boucherie danny Uh, Michelle Coupe for our French premiere at the Red Movie Awards. We're up for three um, awards there, Best Documentary, Best um, Editing, and Best Score. So um, one of our Delta representatives is going to be joining us there. So that's exciting. And then um, May 16, we will be in New York City with the Alliance Francaise. Uh, And then from there, there's some events that are a little bit in question, uh, but we will be in um, Atlanta with Delta on May 24th, all the way through May 31st. And then, of course, on June 1st, we head to Normandy for about three weeks. Um, And so there's a lot uh, to put together for that. The biggest thing of which is we were talking about a while back, the DCP that we had to make for the theaters in France. James Thayer of Seek First Productions in Nashville is the one that's always made our DCPs. He's awesome to work with, highly recommend him. Uh, He did make a DCP. We sent it over to France at $142 for the shipping fee. It arrived at the theater and this is a big, you know, 3D surround um, theater. And they had no idea what to do with this um, 
I think it's a crew drive, CRU drive that holds the doc, uh, the DCP file. Uh, they couldn't put it into their computer or ingest it in any way. And so they asked for a download link. We sent them that for some reason, they weren't able to download it from Google Drive. So now they're asking for a Wii transfer, um, which James says he's gonna work on tonight. Uh, we still need to take that crew drive to the Carenton Theater. Perhaps they can use it. And if not, that will be another pricey lesson learned. Um, we, uh, this is the crew drive is usually what theaters use all over the world to, um, you know, send a DCP file. So yeah, so we didn't know that. So there was that, and we're still working on putting together, we're in pre-production for the shoot in Carenton for this new Carenton uh, documentary that we're working on and putting together all the details that we have to do to get everybody over there and shooting and stuff like that. So uh, that's what our time has been been taken up by over the last week. Uh, so that's the update there. Uh, and I announced last week, we are starting a new limited series on distribution. And we're starting that today, Josh. Today, why are we talking about distribution? I well, thought we got distribution. <laughs> we did. And what you missed last week is that we now no longer have it. Oh, uh, and, is that yeah. good or bad? It was a very sad week last night. It was just, or last week, it was just Jason and I, um, and I was, you know, talking about basically what happened. I went through my emotions of that whole experience. And um, then now we're going to dive into the nuts and bolts of what happened uh, because di distribution is a big black hole for most filmmakers. A lot of people don't talk about it. Um, I did talk to my lawyer about this. It was actually my lawyer that suggested that we do this limited series because it is such a big black hole. I asked him if I shared what was happening, would it be you know, considered libel? Is this a risky thing? And he said, if you're telling your experience and the story is true, it can't be libelous. So that's why we're kind of going to dive into this. Um, Josh, it happened because uh, they breached their agreement that we um, had both signed to pay us. And so uh, as we evaluated that situation, it became clear to my team that we were really had a lot of opportunity costs we were losing and it was time to, uh, to move on. So, so how, how did you know you, you weren't getting paid as opposed to there just wasn't any money coming in? So our agreement and most distribution agreements will say something to the effect of that the distributor is to make quarterly reports to the filmmakers. So our agreement in particular said that once the film is launched, the distributor will make quarterly reports and they will give a report and a payment, um, you know, at that time. Now, this distributor wrote into the contract that they have a 90-day grace window in which to make that payment. So Q1 ends at the end of March. So anytime from the end of March um, to the end of June, that's when they're supposed to turn in the Q1 report. Um, we didn't launch until Q2 of 2021. So we launched in Q2, so that was somewhere around May. Q2 ends in on June 30th. So the very first report we should have gotten should have come to us um, between June 30th 
and September 30th, okay? So Q2 ended September 30th. And so that meant that our first report should have come anytime from September 30th to December 30th, okay? That's a 90-day window. And on December 30th, if we did not have that Q2 report, they were in breach of contract. I'm sorry, just to clarify, Q2, isn't that, so Q1 is January, February, March. Q is April, May, June. Yep. Okay. So it ends and June 30th. Started, okay, and you started in Q2. We started in Q2, yes. All right, so you should have gotten a Q3 report, isn't that right? At the so, no, no, we should have gotten the Q2. So we started in Q2 in May. So yeah. we would have had half, you know, a week in two weeks. It would have been two weeks, let's say, okay. of Q2. So we should have gotten that report sometime uh, between September 1st and December 30th. Okay. And you did not. Right? Well, right. I, thought, I thought you get the Q2 and Q3. Isn't it, is that all right? So we would have gotten a Q2 report, a Q3 report, and a Q4 report. By now. Okay. Now, yes, up, up to now, we should have had all three of those. And they did not send me a Q2 report on time. Well, I was very busy at the time. I didn't really understand exactly when I should have gotten a report. Uh, but sometime in November, I was like, hey, shouldn't we have gotten a report? So early, late November, early December, I asked um, the distributor who will go unnamed until the very end of this series. Uh, some people may know it, most may not, but it, they will go unnamed until the end of this series. Why? Uh, because that's what my lawyer suggested. We're gonna okay. give we're gonna give a letter out at the end of every episode, um, and we'll tell everybody at the end. Right. Um, so so we should have gotten a report, and by end of November, first of December, we hadn't. I reached out to them. I said, "Hey, we need a report and a payment." Oh yeah, it's coming, and that was like December seventh, something like that. We did not get a report or a payment until December twenty first, and. It was the report, but the payment did not come until later that week. And they only made a partial payment. And they said, the rest of it will come to you next week, right before New Year's. So the first check that we received was for about 1500 The first report we received was about $1,500. That's what was coming to us. And that would have been for the first two weeks of our release. So for the first two weeks of our release, what we were receiving were money from iTunes um, in the US, iTunes in Canada, Shaw Cable Company in Canada, and the Cineplex store in Canada. Those were all the places the distributor put us out for distribution. And for those two weeks, um, you know, the amount that kind of came in was a little over $3,000. So from that money, they withdrew their distribution fee fees, which was around 1500 something like that. And so we were then to get 75% of the net proceeds. So our particular agreement, the distributor was to get 25%. We were to get 75% of the net proceeds. And so at the end of December, they sent us a check for $1,000. They said they we would get the rest the, before January 1st. We didn't. 
We kept asking for that. We finally got $500 more at the uh, February 8th. And they are still, we discovered in doing all of this, they're still $10 short on Q2. And that was the last money we received from them. Have you received any more reports? No, no money, no reports. So the only report you got was for Q2. Yes, and that was late. Now, what I could have done and probably should have done way back then would have said, this report was due December 30th. The payment was due December 30th. You are now in breach. And our contract says that once I say that statement, you're in breach, they have 10 days to cure the breach. If they don't cure the breach in that 10 days, we have the right, according to our agreement, to terminate the agreement. Now, retrospectively, I probably wouldn't have terminated the agreement, which is why I didn't say, hey, you're in breach. I'm still trying to work with them at this point, you know. Um, the other thing that was odd is that they, they said the reason for their delay, of course, they blamed it on COVID. But they didn't write us a letter. They didn't tell us anything about that. They just were, they just didn't say anything. They didn't say anything. They didn't send us a report. They didn't say, send us any money. It was finally David Patterson who called and said, hey, what's the deal? We need a report and a payment. And they're like, oh, we sent Christian an email that said uh, we were delayed because of COVID. Well, they never sent an email. They never asked if they could be late. Um, they never explained anything. They just told David that, you know, sometime in January, late January, February. And so, so that was that. Now let's remember that was over a year after the pandemic began. So the pandemic began in March, 2020. We didn't even release till May, 2021. And by that time, the world had kind of adjusted. Not only that, basically what you're talking about is you know, they have a small office and they're supposed to just take in the money, look at their accounts and send out money. It's not like, you know, there's some manufacturing thing that would cause some sort of delay because of COVID. So you could have done something in January, you didn't. You got some of your money, then what happened? So I, so February, you know, we kind of go through February and I, I had asked them in January, like early January, when is Q3 coming? And they said Q3 will come at the end of January. Q3 was actually due, if I have this right, on December 30th. Because Q4 was due at the latest on March 30th. So we should have had Q3, you know, by the end of the year. And they were a month late or they said they're going to be a month late. Right. And then, of course, at the end of January, we didn't have a report at the end of February. We didn't have a report at the end of, you know, at the beginning of March, we didn't have a report for Q3. And we still didn't have the complete payment for Q2. So in the beginning of March, I just started like, you have missed this deadline and this deadline, you have to send me your money, this money and this report immediately. And I would ask every day, every day I was asking for them and they would just keep saying, oh, it's coming. 
it's coming. Don't worry. It's coming very soon. And, you know, did you ever use the, the, the language about them being in breach of contract? I did not use that language until the very end of March, because again, we were still as a team thinking we need to compel them to pay. We didn't want to get out of the agreement necessarily. Who doesn't want to have distribution? You know, so we really just wanted the report and we wanted payment and it was getting tighter and tighter on our company. And we, you know, there are bills we have to pay. And so we really did want them to provide the report and make the payment uh, for Q3 and to come into compliance with Q4. Did um, you know what the payment was for Q3? No, but here's what I do know. The sale for the Delta deal happened in Q3. And that was a $6,000 sale that I brought to them thanks to Virginie Durr. So we brought them this sale. Basically, they all they had to do was send a file to Delta, you know, and then they take in the $6,000. And then, you know, I'm supposed to get 75% of whatever. So we know that that sale was done in Q3. We don't know what else came in because we have no idea what comes in on any of the other platforms. And when I looked back at the Q2 report, all they do is just say, all of your sale, you sold 350 units. They don't break down the platforms. They didn't tell me how many, you know, how many came in. And they just say, and here's the amount. And so it was super frustrating because really all you have is their word to go on. They could make up anything and put it on the report. And so you then wonder, you know, if they're not honoring their agreement and what they're supposed to do in delivering the reports and payment, are they honest about that? All right. So we're in March. You have March of 2021, 22. We're in March of 2022 and I still okay. haven't gotten Q3 and Q4 of okay. 21. Right, right. Um, okay. So March, we're in, we're in April of this recording. So it wasn't that long ago. So this happened have, two weeks ago. Yeah. All right. So you're, you're out, you know, you're out money. You know, you're missing the reports. They keep saying they're going to send it, but they don't. Now what? So <clears throat> what happened was we sort of gave them a warning and we, we went back to, you know, we, we said Q3 was due December 30th and we didn't get a report or payment. Q4 um, of 2022 uh, was due March 30th or 31st, what, however many days are in there. So we knew that once they got to that date, like let's say April 1st, let's just call it April 1st. Once they got to April 1st, they were then going to be in default on Q4 of 2022. And so we knew that was going to, we just knew that was going to happen. And so we sent them a letter and we said, you know, you are in, you are in breach for Q3. You're about to be in breach on Q4. If you don't send this, we are going to terminate the agreement. Do you, do you risk losing money at that point? So they're still supposed to pay us the money and they're still supposed to pay us the report. Okay. The issue is 
how are they going to be compelled to do right. that? All right. So you sent, uh, how long ago did you send this notice? This notice? So we sent the notice that we were going to terminate a, a, a week before the last day of March. And we Wait, said, you oh, know. Did you say, hold on. You, you first notified them that they were in breach and they better get caught up. And then did you give them 10 days? Yes, okay. we did. So so 10 days from April 1st, you know, we, we gave them those 10 days. I started talking about it long before, you know, I start saying, you need to give us the money. You're, I didn't say the words breach, but I was like, and then every day I was asking for the money. So all of that counts in that 10 days. Okay. And so uh, we got to April 1st. And so that meant that they were in breach of Q3, they're in breach of Q4. And so on April 1st, um, and we, my lawyer had sent them a few days earlier, um, and, and this is the way that it went. Um, we wrote them that letter. We said, you know, you've got to pay us. If not, we're terminating the agreement on, you know, April 1st or whatever, or 72 hours. And he said, you know what, we'll, we'll talk about this next week. They were in the process of fulfilling the Air France deal, which for some reason took them three weeks to send a file to Air France. I'm not sure why, but they said, we'll talk about this next week after we deliver the Air France deal and after we pay you your money. Why don't you have your lawyer call me? So my lawyer called him the next day, had to leave a message. You know, you asked me to call you. I'm calling you. Uh, just to let you know, we're terminating the agreement. We'll get you uh, that letter in 72 hours. So uh, the distributor called my lawyer back, left a message and said, why don't you give me a call? Let's work this out. I'm sure we can work something out. Still not really understanding the seriousness of which we really, you know, felt about this breach and that, you know, so anyway, my lawyer called back, had to leave another message and basically said, there is no working anything out. We are terminating that, the agreement. And by this time, my team had decided that they weren't going to give us the money. We had to terminate the agreement. We had to risk the fact that we would never get paid um, because the opportunities we were losing, um, waiting for them to pay us were too great. Well, so, okay. okay, speak on that because it seems like and I'm just asking for people who might be wondering, you know, what's the harm? I mean, they didn't pay you last month. You know, what's the harm waiting another month? And, and you know, maybe they'll pay you versus I'm going to draw a line in the sand. And now it's kind of like, well, good luck getting paid at this point. Right. That's a great question. But again, you know, when you're in an abusive relationship and you see a pattern of that kind of abuse to stay in that relationship is really unwise. And it was, it was unwise on so many different levels. And I felt like I felt incredible disrespect and dismissiveness. And as I look back now, I see so many different signs and, you know, we are going to go back and talk about uh, the very beginning of how this relationship began, because in the end, it is a relationship. It's a relationship and you are basically married to this company uh, for as long as this agreement, you know, says, and, there are all sorts of, um, you know, commitments and contractual things that are involved in this relationship. And if one person in the relationship is being faithful and doing what they're supposed to do, and the other one isn't, there's co this constant feeling of being taken advantage of, of not trusting your partner, um, of, you know, what is going to come around the corner next. 
and so not only is there the, oh, maybe they'll pay, there is this, you know, feeling of I'm being treated very badly and wrongly. I don't have any power. This person has all the power and I have no recourse to compel them to pay. And so as I began researching more and trying to understand how other companies work from other filmmakers I had talked to, what they're doing, and it's not uncommon because now I've talked to a bunch of filmmakers, it's not uncommon for filmmakers who like to produce films to go into the distribution business once they've already kind of figured out the lay of the land. And so they go and they start making their films, but they start this distribution business where they have accounts at iTunes and other places, and they can just upload them just like I could. I could create an iTunes account and upload the film. They've done all that on several different platforms. And they then say they're a distributor. They take in the money. They use the money that they're taking in to fund their own film projects. And they're basically playing, you know, they're robbing Peter to pay Paul all the time. And they'll send you money when they got it. Or they won't. And they hope oftentimes, you know, filmmakers that are first time filmmakers are just desperate for distribution. And they think their main priority is to have their film seen. Yeah, they want to make money. But especially in documentary work, many times they think, well, it's never going to make money. I just want people to see my film. And a lot of times filmmakers are not business people. So they're not tracking the business part of it. And so distributors can easily take advantage of that agreement. And I feel like that was what was happening here. And I did bring another filmmaker to this company. Uh, I said, hey, this was early on before I had any relationship with them. And this other filmmaker friend was looking for distribution. I said, well, let me introduce you to the people I'm working with. I did. That person who is a very experienced filmmaker, his name is Frederick Marx. He has another veteran film. He was also one of the producers on Hoop Dreams. He said, I'll give him a shot, but he's very jaded on distribution. So he worked very hard to tailor his agreement in a better way than I did. Um, and he signed a distribution deal with him. So we've been talking this whole way along. And the same thing's happening with him that was happening with me. He wasn't getting paid either. But he did not really expect it to make much money. He didn't expect much from this distributor. So he wasn't really tracking it and kind of, you know, didn't really care. He made his agreement for 18 months, whereas mine was for five years. You know, I would, I'll never do that again, I don't think. Um, and so I now know it's a pattern with this distributor. It's not just with me. And so at that point, a long-winded answer to answer your question, Josh, um, we are so locked in with them that there are so many things I cannot do where I could be making money to pay off. I mean, keep in mind, we still have not paid off all the expenses that we have to make this film. Um, and I still have ongoing expenses, like this DCP that I just made cost me $800 and $142 to send. So I'm still having to spend money, you know? So, so you, you, you notify them and what was their response? So uh, on Friday, uh, my lawyer sent the official letter, which is we are terminating. Oh, let me tell you, let me back up one step. So when uh, my lawyer left the message and said, there is no discussion, there's no working this out. We are terminating the agreement. 
<laughs> the distributor wrote a letter that basically said, well, we don't want to be in an, in an agreement with a filmmaker that's not fully invested in their film. <laughs> the, the, their response was to insult you? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Again, you can't it's fire a, me. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, wow. You know, it feels like a very abusive relationship. And and he began the email by saying, um, I should have pulled it up uh, to read it to you, but he began the email by saying, well, if you are not going to discuss a, what was the word he used? Some sort of reasonable, um, you know, path forward yeah path forward then here are our demands and so there were these list of demands but they said they used the word um you know things that needed to be discussed or something like that and basically they were like you have to reimburse us for all of these things that we did or or in the process of doing with no proof of those things you know at all it's just what they're saying and so of course, when we then did send, we waited until the like end of business, the last day of March, and we were waiting for them to see, are they going to give us the reports and the payments that they're supposed to give us by, you know, end of business on the last day of March? And um, they didn't. So we sent the termination letter, which is, you know, we told you you were in breach. The 10 days are over. We are terminating our agreement. And these are the answers to all of your things that need to be discussed. And um, that was sent on Friday, end of day, which was- So less than a week ago. Yeah, April 1st, April 1st. And we've heard no response at all. There was you know, still no report, no payment, no response to anything you said. So that's where we are. Okay. Matt, and so go ahead you're gonna say and now what right right <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i just sent my lawyer that email last night um because here's the kicker we we told them when we were terminating terminating the agreement they had to remove the film from all of the platforms where they had put the film and one of their things that needed to be discussed was that it couldn't come down from these different platforms for 120 days, which is bull. Hmm. So they did right away, even before we sent the formal termination letter, they did pull it off of iTunes in the US and Canada. So it can no, no longer be found there. I am sad because I did not screenshot all of the comments that people made. You know, we had great Mm. reviews and great comments and I didn't do that before they pulled it down. So that did cause me a lot of sadness. Uh, We worked hard for a lot of those, you know, comments and reviews and things like that. So that was sad. But then, um, you know, right now it's up. They had just put it up on Vudu. They had, you know, it's on the Cineplex store in Canada, Shaw Cable Company in Canada. It's on Hoopla, which is the library system. And so... um, as I, I just Googled right before this podcast and it's still up on those platforms, but I am not able to look for any other distribution until it's removed from all of those platforms. Oh, so this is kind of a, maybe a way for them to stick it to you. Yep. Because as you know, 
in May and June, we are having a ton of events and we are going to be, you know, with people who are going to want to watch the film. And now there is no way for anybody to watch our film unless, like, let's say they don't take it off Vudu. And somebody goes to Google, the girl who wore freedom. And, oh, it's on Vudu. I'll watch it on Vudu. Well, they get that money still. Mm. So my question to the lawyer last night was, okay, they haven't responded. It's still up on all the platforms other than iTunes. Uh, what's our next step? And so I think the next step is, is we're going to have to send a cease and desist letter to all of those platforms and say, this distributor does not have the right to distribute this film. You have to take it down. Oh, so go, you go directly to the, the platform. Yeah, I think we have to. Okay. But I mean, I haven't heard back from John, so we'll see what he says. And then, you know, the only recourse we have in our contract, and, you know, I'm prepared over the next you know, this like limited series to, to talk about what is in our contract, um, what the language is or uh, what things, um, you know, were agreed to or not agreed to. Um, but the language that's in here is that w they are supposed to keep books and reports of everything that they, that happens with this film, how much money they spend on marketing, where they market, where they put things, how much money comes in, um, all of that. And we have the right to audit that their reports and their books at any time. And if there is a 5% discrepancy between what they pay us and what the audit finds, they are then required to pay for the audit. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, what I'm going to be looking at is, okay, you know, for Q2, they paid us what they said they owed us, other than the $10 that they still owe. You know, do I believe that that's exactly what they brought in and that their books are right? Uh, I don't know. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt on Q2. But Q3, Q4, they haven't paid us anything. So clearly there's a 5% discrepancy. And so if we did the audit, then, you know, they would have to pay for the money they owe us for the interest on that money and then for the audit itself. Now, what happens if we do the audit though and they have no money? Right. And, and it's going to be, I asked John, the lawyer a while back, like how long, is, how much is it going to cost to do the audit? Well, this company happens to be in Canada. So I don't know if we would have to use a Canadian auditor or an American would be fine, um, but it it's going to cost, he said, around five to ten thousand dollars. Oh my goodness! Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of over a barrel. Um, yeah. The other thing we were in the process of, you know, they 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 wanted DVD rights, but they then wouldn't do anything with the DVD rights, and so. We really couldn't officially sell DVDs. So after a while, I was like, my people, my audience watches DVDs. They're asking for them on our website. They're asking for them, um, you know, anytime I go to events, can I please have the DVD rights back? And they were like, no, but if you send us a hundred DVDs that we can sell, you can do what you want to do with the DVDs. So we were in the process of, 
you know, sourcing a DVD manufacturer and having those DVDs made, you know, that they, with the art that they had to approve with their logo and all of that. So, of course, thankfully, we didn't have those manufactured yet. So now we can take off all of their branding from the art. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess right now we'll make DVDs and we'll sell them at events and on our website so people could watch it that way. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Still trying to figure it out. Well, we have lots more questions. The history of finding this company, um, what the contract said. But like you said, this is a limited series. So we're going to get more into that in the next two episodes. Um, but for now, it's time to shift gears for our new segment called DocuView Deja View. DocuView Deja View. All right, this is where we all bring a documentary to the table uh, that we'd like to recommend. I'm going to go first, if that's all right. Go right ahead. Okay. Uh, and before I do, uh, I just want to say, Christian, I'm sorry you're going through all this crud, um, but uh, you were helping pave the way for, you know, other documentary filmmakers and regular, I don't know, what do you call them? Regular <laughs> filmmakers? I guess. Narrative filmmakers. <laughs> Narrative filmmakers. Um, Anyway, uh, so what you're learning will be super helpful. So at least there'll be value in that. And yes. uh, hopefully this will be all worked out very soon. But in the meantime, I, I want to bring uh, to the table the 2013 documentary Blackfish. Ooh, I haven't seen this. Yeah. Oh, so this is about SeaWorld and how they treat the, the animals there you know the the whales and the, the trainers and the, the tricks they do and i've never been to sea world i anytime i i'm ever in orlando the last place i want to go to is like a zoo i want to go to disney world right you know like, <laughs> uh, so i've never been and but i just heard so many great things about this documentary i was never interested but it just kept getting in front of me it it just tells a sad story of how these animals are treated from the trainers themselves, how these trainers are not, I mean, they didn't study this. They're basically, I mean, you or I could have done this. They just train you how to do it. And uh, it's, and it, to me, it's like supersized me where it, it changed the way I thought about something where I now definitely put a nail in the coffin. And like, I'm, I'm never going to see world. <laughs> you know, I, I have no interest now ever I don't want to give them money. And then the thing too is, is, you know, this was the thing with documentaries you have to be careful about is especially with something like Blackfish. I mean, they're, they're accusing the organization of doing really terrible things and, but it's from one perspective and you you don't get to hear both sides. You only get to see one uh, point of view. So you got to take everything with a grain of salt. And I try and do that. And even in doing this, that with this film, I walked away like, yeah, I, even if this film is half true, I don't think I could ever give my money to SeaWorld. So it was well done and convincing. You know, it's interesting when I was thinking about telling this documentary, someone recommend that I watch Blackfish as a, the way, the, the narrative way that they told the documentary. So it was one of the ones I watched in the beginning to see, is this the kind of style? Cause I think it's first person narration, right? Josh, if I remember correctly. Well, they, I, I don't, it's been a while since I've seen it, uh, but it, it did a lot of interviews with the trainers who 
were basically coming clean. Like, this is how they did things. I had no experience. They just brought me up front and I just was good with the audience and the whales like me. And so you'd think this person's an expert, but you kind of find out what's going on behind the curtain and it's being told by those people. So beyond and doesn't that, someone I, die? It didn't. You, that, yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's some pretty serious stuff that goes down. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great recommendation. Jason, what about you? What do you got today? Yeah. I was trying to think of, um, there was a documentary I watched right after I finished college. Um, as I remember one of my friends, we, we did a, a student television show. I directed a student television show and it was like a talk show type thing. And one of my friends came with this documentary. I was like, you guys got to see this. And it was um, uh, the Wolf Pack. Hmm, I never heard of it. You ever heard of the Wolf Pack either? No. Yeah. Okay. So the, this is a fascinating little story as a director walking down the street in New York City and sees six kids ranging from the ages of 11 to 16 walking down the street, all of them wearing Ray-Bans and they all have like waist length hair and uh, it's it's six boys and um, they all are in suits like they're in Reservoir Dogs and they're walking down the street and she goes, (laughs) well, this is interesting. (laughs) And so she goes and befriends them and it turns out they have been living with an abusive father and have been trapped in a 16th story apartment building for their entire lives. They have never left until like that year. And so their entire view of the world was made through movies and they all loved Quentin Tarantino movies. And so they spoke like they're in movies and they got these accents and they, they talk and they, they talk in movie dialogue and, and quotes. And and they just, lived in this weird little bubble and it totally affected who they are and they're definitely have very odd perspectives and it's just chronicling what their lives are and that one of them wanted to be a filmmaker and started making his own short films and everything like that and it is a fascinating documentary on just how weird your life can be depending on what your parents are like and somehow they had gotten away with 16 years being locked in 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 an apartment and never leaving um until they finally were old enough to be like no we're gonna go outside and (laughs) started going out and yeah it's like maybe within the first couple weeks of them being outside this this director found them and started making this documentary wow that's amazing the wolf pack yep where can you watch that do you know where you can watch it uh i'll look into it why don't you do yours i'll find that out yeah, and uh, find out where we can watch Josh's Blackfish as well. Unless you know, Josh. I'm looking, but go ahead, Christian. Okay, so my film, and I may have sort of mentioned this before. I know I've mentioned it on the Holy Post, but uh, the one I want to talk about today is The Go-Go's. Uh, it's a documentary film. It's a 2020 American Irish Canadian documentary film directed and produced by Alison Elwood. Alison Elwood is, um, I've actually met her. She is met her at Sundance in 20, uh, 2020. Yeah, 2020. She is um, known for doing these band documentaries and she's very good at them. She did one on the Eagles that is also very good. Uh, so if you like band documentaries, look for Allison Elwood and what she's been doing. So this film follows the rise of this girl band from the 80s, the Go-Go's. Uh, it premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in 2020. And um, what was so great about that is that the, that was the first time that I had ever been to Sundance and I was looking through the program and I saw the Go-Go's uh, documentary film, didn't know it was coming out. I was like, I got to go to that. 
and I was so blown away when I saw it. I really did not know very much about the behind the scenes story of the Go-Go's. I, they were the soundtrack to my senior year. They were my favorite band. Um, but and I knew they broke up and I knew Belinda Carlisle went on to do her own thing. And I just assumed that was because, you know, Belinda was too big for her britches and decided she was too good to be a go-go. I didn't really understand the backstory. And if you think back to the 80s, really the only way that we knew what was going on in the lives of band members was if we read the Rolling Stone or we read the back of uh, their you know, album jackets or, you know, on the tapes, we read what they wrote in there. We didn't really follow their lives like we do today. So I didn't really know a lot about what was happening behind the scenes. So this documentary lifts up the hood and it shows you everything. It talks about how they met. It talks about how they came together and how they gelled. It talks about these sort of punk rock girls being in this male punk rock world and how they made their way. Um, it talked about uh, the, the relationship with their manager is really interesting. And there is a ton of hurt and drama and, um, you know, drug and alcohol use and money, you know, fights over money. Uh, and this is now, the story is now told when they're all, you know, basically my age, a little older than me. So you see them a lot. And what was so stunning about seeing them at um, Sundance is they were all there. And they walked right by me at one point and I got to shake their hands and say hello. And then uh, when I went to see the film, they actually walked in and were talking and taking questions. And the thing I was so shocked about is that as I watched it, I saw myself and I saw that my hair was just like Belinda's. I had the same sunglasses. I danced just the same. And so it really revealed to me, like it was a sort of a eye-opening thing um, at how much movies and bands and everything impacted us when we were in our high school years. So uh, if you're my age, I'm 55. So if you're my age, you would, I think, find it fascinating because they do talk a lot about uh, that teen angst in the 80s and you might be able to relate. Well, if you like that, you might like, there's a documentary about AHA. You know, oh, really? Yeah, it's coming out. Uh, right okay. Now. So it's probably a thing, you know, like, quite, there. I don't think there are a lot of great bands now. I mean, there's a lot of like different kind of, you know, I'm becoming an old man, Josh, where it's like the music these kids listen to today. You know? <laughs> but in all sincerity, like, I don't think there are good bands. Like there aren't classic bands, like especially from the 70s. It's, but, it's kind of become a lot of single performers yeah nowadays absolutely right. right and there's not a lot of uh you know work your fingers to the bone the whole ten thousand hours thing it's like if you can get viral and fan base it's not really based on if you're good or not anyway it's a whole other story but i think because of that you know people are interested in their old favorite bands and so documentaries like these things about the go-go the go-go's or the aha or whoever the beatles you know uh the eagles are, right you know are, are interesting to people so yeah for sure well um i did find the wolf pack is on hbo max uh the go-go's are available on showtime and blackfish is available on amazon prime video so crazy go. how ha we have to go to the wikipedia or whatever to find out where you can see a <laughs> film these days yes. crazy uh, yes Th thank god for the internet <laughs> Well, um, why don't we end there and we're going to continue this limited series on distribution um, because I'm sure there's lots of questions people have and definitely a lot of information we have not covered 
So we will continue this. Uh, before we say goodbye, Christian, is there anything we need to remind people of? We'd love for you to join Patreon. We've got some exciting stuff going on and we really could use your support, particularly in light of our distribution news. Um, we still are taking donations on the girlywarfreedom.com. So that's also uh, a possibility. And um, yeah, please write us your questions. If you have questions about distribution or even what's been happening in our particular situation, um, you can uh, send me an email at Christian at NormandyStories.com uh, or you can you know, reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Uh, so yeah, leave us, leave us a message. Let us know what else you want to know. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, everyone. We just want to say thank you for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it. Yes, you can. Bye, unless everybody. You have, unless you have bad distribution deals, then <laughs> it gets hard. <laughs> it's true. All right. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you for listening, donating, and following along on our journey. We are supported by generous donations from people just like you. To make a donation, visit thegirlywarefreedom.com. Or support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash documentaryfirst. To learn more about our other works in progress, visit documentaryfirst.com or follow Documentary First on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. This podcast was produced by Documentary First, edited and mixed by Jason Hoban, with music by Jeff Kurtenacker.